so thank you. Let's pray. Lord, we are the body of Christ. And you have a grand plan that you have set in place. I pray that today you'd bind Satan and that it would be the Holy Spirit who speaks. Both through word, through scripture, through the hearts of our people. Amen. So, in the coming weeks, you know, one of the things that has become very apparent to the elders is that one of the areas that we could probably benefit from is an understanding of what is this purpose? What is this purpose? What are we doing and why are we doing it? And so we're embarking on this three-week series. Tom, Tom said that, uh, that I would be speaking for three weeks. I, I might be calling some of my pastor friends like Adam and Chris to find out if there's somebody who can finish this. Because um, I, I don't know how. Uh, this is not what I do, guys. This is not what I do. Um, so please pray for me as we go. Uh, so the church. And when I talk about the church, we're not today necessarily talking about Bethany. I'm talking about the universal church, and I'll I'll speak into that in the coming moments. But there's really three facets that we want to focus on. The first is that that Christ is the head of the church. It's not the elders. It's not the pope. It's not the archbishop. It's not deacons. It's not any of those. Christ is the head of the church. And it is the Holy Spirit that directs the church. And what happens within the church and its connection to the Holy Spirit is a really big part of God's plan. And the gifts that are given within the church are a huge part of God's plan. And so over the next several weeks, we want to spend some time. It's a cursory look. It's a cursory look. I don't think you can capture in 30 or 35 minutes the essence of the Holy Spirit. But maybe it's a jump-off point for us. I don't think we can give enough time to the gifts of the Spirit. But I think in the coming months and years, maybe, maybe we can. Maybe we can. Maybe we can learn more about what it is God's calling us to do, um, both here at Bethany, but in the workplace and, and ultimately around the world. I just want to take a little bit of time to introduce myself a lot of you I know, well, and I look out here, I, a lot of you I don't know. Um, many of you I know. Um, some of you have no idea, you know, who is this guy? Why on earth would um, anybody think that he can do it? You know, I, I thought the same thing myself. Um, <laughs> this is, uh, I've spent 30 years in education. Uh, some of you sitting here might have sat in my history class, uh, Craig and Dwayne last service. Um, I taught here, I taught in Florida, and then I worked overseas. So I was 15 years as a classroom teacher, and I was uh, 15 years as a school administrator, principal, uh, assistant principal for a couple of years. And uh, so that's, that's my, my trade and training. That's what I do. Um, I have a lovely wife, Rosanna. If you don't know Rosanna, I'll talk more about her in just a moment. 
um, four great kids. If you need a testimony to the power of God, just look at people's kids because they tend to um, grow on their own and kind of in spite of the parenting that they receive. Um, Hayden is here. He's the only one who's here. Hayden waved to everybody. Uh, Hayden just graduated uh, from the overseas school we were working at in Dubai, and he's attending Biola University where he's studying engineering. Uh, he'll graduate in his third year from Biola, uh, where he will then finish at the uh, University of Southern California. Uh, as, a, as a Bruin fan, that hurts me to think that my money will go to the Trojans. Uh, but, but Hayden is studying engineering and doing quite well. Loves math and science, clearly his mother's son. Uh, Emma is not with us. She's leading worship uh, with a friend in Reading this morning, so she couldn't be with us. I didn't get to them fast enough to have them sing that song instead of me playing a video. Uh, Emma just graduated from Biola University. She's, uh, she was a speech pathology major, so she works with... Uh, right now, she's working with kids with disabilities. Uh, she started a disability ministry in her church in California, and she uh, is going to graduate school to get a master's degree in speech pathology, which is what you need in order to be licensed. Uh, So she will stay in California at Biola, and Hayden and her will be together for a while longer. Caitlin is our third, our second daughter. Um, Caitlin is, Hayden's 18, Emma's 21, uh, Kate is 25. She's a graduate of Purdue University where she went through her school of nursing. She met her, the love of her life, her husband, Josiah, who's not pictured, um, in Doha. He is a German national who grew up in the Middle East, so he speaks fluent Arabic, fluent German, but is as American as anybody you've ever seen because he's always gone to American schools. Uh, He's a graduate of Cornell University, and they are at Dartmouth Hospital in New Hampshire. She's a pediatric nurse, and he's a pediatric resident. And so we're very proud of them. And uh, as as, as Josiah comes into father, father, uh, family gatherings, he always announces, none of you are of age that I can treat, so don't ask me any questions. Brianna is our oldest. She's 26. She lives in Portland, Oregon. Some of you know Brianna very well. She works for a company named uh, Seiko. Seiko, Seiko is, Brianna, whenever she explains what she does, she says, I work in ethical fashion. And and, and I always want to say to her, and and Steph, I'm not looking at you, okay? Uh, I always want to say to her, how can it be ethical to spend that much money on a fashion device? (laughs) You know, it's just so expensive, um, but the reason they do is because all of the profits from the company go to women in Africa. And there's over 100, over 100 women who have now been uh, educated, have their bachelor's degrees, because women buy expensive shoes and handbags. Um, so that's, that's Brianna. This is my wife, Rosanna. She's on a zip line. Um, I want you to know that my life with Rosanna is a little bit like being on a zip line. Um, I, I had to show her this picture to ask if it was okay if I use it. And before she could respond, Emma looked over my shoulder and said, yeah, and tell them sometimes you even get a harness being on that zip line with her. Uh, Rosanna is an immensely talented educator in her own right. Um, I was her boss for a long time, and I have all of the, the data analysis to, to prove that she's the best math teacher in the world. Uh, no, she can't tutor your kids. Um, they'll have to go to public school in Reading, and then maybe they'll have a chance to intersect with her. So that's our family. My journey, I went just a, a little bit on my, my own personal testimony. Um, this is Hayden and I. Uh, this summer, we hit a really big milestone. For the last more than a decade, probably 11 or 12 years, right, Hayden? 
we have been trying to get to every Major League Baseball park. And this is the picture in at watching the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Angels, the 30th stadium. That's not my journey. I just like to tell that story. Um, so th- there's, if, I, if I look at my spiritual journey, my spiritual timeline, I could really look at about four times in my life where something fairly significant happened that, that moved me forward. Um, I see Lauren. Lauren was in my class. Uh, hi, Lauren. Um, it started at age 12. Now, a little girl came up to me after the first service and said that she had accepted Jesus at age 3. And I thought, that's fantastic. It took me until age 12. It was in my dad's church. By the way, my dad was a pastor for about 40 years. My brother has also, my older brother is also a pastor who's now retired. Um, I never wanted to be a pastor. So that's why the three months that Tom mentioned. Um, I, I always thought that what they did was far, far more difficult than what I did in a classroom. But at age 12, I came to an understanding of, of who Christ was. But it was a very, it was a, it was a very 12-year-old understanding. And because of kind of where I was growing up, uh, you know, I probably was sitting in a, in a classroom somewhere with flannel graph, and um, I had this really kind of legalistic view of religion and what I needed to do as a believer. And it wasn't until the age of 18 that I encountered a guy, I remember the evangelist, his name was Art Gaunt, and Art Gaunt came and preached in our church, my, in my dad's church, and he really challenged me to think about who I was. Not, not who I was growing up in a pastor's home, but who I was in Christ. And, and so at age 18, um, I, I really didn't know that. I was, I guess I was a professing Christian, I guess. I didn't profess it very loud. Um, I didn't live like I wasn't a Christian, but I really didn't know um, So at 18, the most clarity of mind that I had was that if I was going to make life decisions, um, I should probably be in a Christian atmosphere to do that. So I went to a Bible college, St. Paul Bible College in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Minneapolis is a great city, but it's really cold. Um, Rosanna, we came in together. We were in the same class, um, and it's, it's now Crown College, so don't go Google it. You won't come up with anything. It's Crown College. And uh, I got a degree there in education. The major was in history. It was a dual major in history and theology. And um, so I left, I left college. Uh, well, no, before then. So between the age of 18 and 20, which would be my sophomore year, boy, that sophomore year was a tough one. It was really tough. Because in the theology classes, I was grappling with kind of real theology. And what, I, what, what happened was the things that I had believed, which was my legalism, was sort of unraveling. And I remember sitting in Dr. Don Alexander's Romans class, and that was kind of where it happened. And I unraveled in the sense that it's not that I went on you know, some binge behaviorally. It wasn't that at all. It was that kind of everything I had accepted and believed I found out wasn't true. And, and what I learned was Christianity was a lot more freeing than what I had believed. And so my, my reaction was really against the organized church because to me it was the organized church that had let me down. And so I finished college and I kind of went into adulthood with that. It's not like we ever left church. I just didn't trust church. 
and I didn't trust them. And I remember when we came to Bethany, sitting with Leon Shirk and telling him about this conflict and saying to him, if I ever hear anything from the pulpit that I don't agree with, you need to know I'm going to leave. And he said, um, okay, just do me the favor of you know, telling me if you ever hear anything that you don't agree with. And I never did. Um, Leon, Leon stuck to the word. He, he, he preached the word. He didn't preach the words of men. He didn't preach the words of legalism. In fact, he was shepherding a church out of a much more structured environment, which was something that I really needed and I yearned for. So that was age 20. We got married, moved to Florida. We had kids, and then age 40. Why age 40? I don't, it wasn't exactly 40. It was around age 40. You see, I taught every day. And I loved to teach. I loved it. What I loved more than the teaching was the preparation. My Sunday evenings from about 4.30 on, I would sit and I would have all my books at the table and I just loved that. It was six or seven or eight hours or sometimes longer. I just loved the preparation for the week. And, and the preparation emanated from my first year of teaching where you leave college and you think you know so much, right? You know, 22 years old, you got the world, you know, by the hair. And I got into the first classroom and kids asked me like six questions I had no idea the answer to. And I realized that with all of this knowledge, there was so much more that I didn't know. And isn't that the spiritual walk? Isn't that the way it is? So today, at 52, I have more questions than I've ever had. But what happened to me at 40 was, because I taught all the time, I never wanted to teach in a church. In fact, I would say, no, I'm not going to do it. And it became disobedience. Because there were times I knew that I had something to offer somebody, and I was not being obedient. So it was about 40, and it was about when I came to Bethany that I started to to submit and to do some teaching. And um, that's been great. And, but true to form, I have more questions now than I ever had when I wasn't teaching. So um, bear with me as we work through some of those today. My passions, family, um, you know, it's interesting. You get caught up, and, and I imagine there's probably somebody sitting here who's in that same place. You kind of get caught up in your job, and you think it's so important, and I, I, I got to be there, and I got to put in hours, and I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to. And um, it actually took us leaving. So I was working at Wilson School District in Reading. I was an administrator. I was in a school that nobody leaves. It's like the job. And... God said to us, Rosanna and I, look, I've got something else for you. So we left and we went overseas. And the great gift to us was our family life got so much better. Got so much better. And that's for another day to tell you how or why. But part of it is in in what I'm going to introduce the scriptures with as well. Teaching, I love travel. You know, when I was in that 12 to 18 phase, I just wanted to travel. I wanted to travel the world. And I would say, Lord, how cool would it be if I could just travel? And you know what? He gave me the desires of my heart. The 10 years that we were overseas, people said, so what are you going to do? Are you going to save a lot of money? Because you get paid a lot of money to be overseas. I said, you know what? Nope. I'm spending every dime. We are going to travel. We are going to see the world. Because we thought we were only going to be there three years. 
And then after three years, the kids were like, Dad, this is amazing. We love it. Don't go home. And so we had to kind of redo our, but I got to travel. And uh, boy, what a gift. Sports, I love sports. Uh, I see some people wearing Eagles jerseys. Go, go. I coached. Um, I still, I'm not doing any coaching now, but I hear Garden Spot's open. Maybe Chris, you and I can connect and go over there and coach. You know, wait. We could, we could lose some games for them. Um, uh, so, so I'm hoping that today Doug Peterson and his defense have more success stopping Matt Nagy and his offense than we did when I was coaching. Because uh, when he was at Mannheim Central, he tended to rack up a lot of yardage against uh, my defenses. So love sports, though. I will be uh, glued. Anybody who wants to watch the game, come to our place. We'll have football food. It'll be great tonight. I like to work with my hands. I'm not very good at it. Um, I have a wood shop. It's kind of a mess. I make stuff. People look at it. <laughs> Maybe someday I'll get better. Um, I, I started making stuff that's purposely rough because people think now I intended it to be that way. <laughs> it's brilliant. Gifts. Um, you know, Adam started talking to me three years ago. He's like, Steve, oh my gosh, we, we, would, we would always have breakfast or lunch uh, when, when I would come home. And uh, he said, oh, Steve, it would be great. And I, I just, just want to get you involved in the church. And I'm like, you know, I'd love to. It'd be great. But we would laugh because like, well, it's probably never going to happen. And, you know, we had talked about it. We'd actually had conversations in July about this. And he asked me a question that I hadn't considered. He said, so Steve, what are your gifts? And I was like, well, teaching. I go, that's my go-to. And I said, well, teaching and leadership. And we kind of talked about that. And, but I walked away from that. I was pondering. I'm like, yeah. You know, I haven't really thought about that in a long time. And the thing that I realized in thinking about that is God develops gifts in you. There are things that I am gifted in today. I didn't try to grow. I had no interest in growing. They just, they just emerged as God equips you. But these are the ones that I, I, I like to serve. I, I really do. Um, I, would, I would rather... <laughs> Does anybody remember when we first put the projectors in who was here when we put the projectors in and they were on the side? Do you remember the lines that used to go up through them? Who remembers that? Nobody? Okay, thank you, two of you. Um, it bothered me so much, I said to somebody, I don't remember who it was, can I fix that? And they said, yeah. And so I was the one who fixed that. And then they started giving me all kinds of things to do in the church. And before I, but that was, that was really, that's what I like to do. I like to, after the baseball game, I like to go out and drag the dirt and you know, make, it, make sure everything's nice. And um, I just like that. Um, leadership and administration, I have two degrees. Um, the, the more educated you become, I'm not sure you learn all that much more. But I have two degrees in, in leadership and administration, and I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't really mock that. Um, there's, a, there's a lot to having knowledge of being able to pull things out that you know and structures. And, um, and so this is something that I think, I think I was born with maybe a little bit of leadership, but I really had to develop it over the years. Teaching, of course, it's a passion. This is the one that, that surprised me. When I got overseas, I was told over and over and over I was such a good encourager. And I didn't really know that. I didn't really understand that about myself. And it's something that God has continued to develop in me. So one of my hopes and prayers for today is that when you leave here, you'll be encouraged by what you've heard. So my journey 
took us, I won't take you all the way across the map, but I was born in Los Angeles. Everybody's like, oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I was, I was kind of a beach kid with funky hair, and I wore plaid shorts, which was really in in California. But then we moved to Manitoba in a 4,500 population town that had one stoplight, and I was wearing my Bermuda shorts and my long hair. And, and my dad was the pastor in the biggest church in the town, and I was just a freak to everybody. My mom says that was a really traumatic time for me because I didn't want to leave L.A. I really don't remember it that way. I have quite fond memories of my two years in Manitoba, but Manitoba is a pretty harsh place weather-wise as well. Went to college in Minnesota. After graduating, Rosanna and I moved to Florida where our first two children were born. 1995, we came to Pennsylvania. We live on a farm in Morgantown that has been in Rosanna's family for, get this, 110 years. 110 years. And we've lived there, but the, when we moved in, it was a wreck. It had not been lived in by the owner for 70 years, so we've done a lot of renovation. After 23 years, we're now starting on the outside, so don't expect too much when you come. In 2008, God moved us to the Middle East, and that's where we've been. We spent the last 10 years in the Middle East, seven years in Doha, Qatar, and three years in Dubai. Um, and, and in that time, you know, when I was leaving, and I see some of you that were in... <laughs> Sorry. I see some of you that were in my Sunday school class, um, and the question that I got was, what, is God, what has God got for you in the Middle East? What do you think he wants you to do? And I said, I don't know. It's really exciting. I can't wait to get there and find out. And so I got to Doha, and I thought, okay, God, what are you going to have me do? What am I going to do? What, what am I supposed to do? And um, a whole year, he didn't ask me to do anything. And I remember getting to the end of the year and thinking, God, I'm supposed to do something here. I'm supposed to do something. What, what's, what am I doing? What am I doing for the kingdom? And I, I, I didn't say this in the first service, but what I learned, it's not about what I do for God. It's about what God allows me to be a part of. And I get to participate in how he blesses people and how he blesses the church and how he blesses the unchurched by my willingness to do something that otherwise I might not do. So in going overseas, I became exposed to this universal church. And I want to take you through a few things, and then, and then I'm going to get off of kind of my intro, and we're going to go to Scripture, and, I, and we're going to stick on Scripture today. Um, it, this, is, this is something we're going, to, we're, going to look at, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture, and we're going to stick really closely to that because we're talking about God's purpose. And it is not a very good idea for me to try to tell you what God's purpose is, but rather to show scriptures and explore those. So the universal church, when we talk about the universal church, we don't often think about that. Um, but one of the most beautiful things about going to the Middle East was I learned about the universal church. And, you know, there's, there's things that you know by faith so when I was 12 and I accepted Christ, there were a lot of things, a lot of scriptures that you read and we're told we're supposed to accept it by faith and so we do. We just say we believe it because, well, it's in scripture. 
because the pastor told me, because my Sunday school teacher told me, because my friend were in a small group and they told me, and I, I believe that. I believe that to be true. As you grow and as you learn, the Holy Spirit will put you in situations where you will have experiences that you will now go from a faith that believes just because of faith to something that you have experienced and your belief becomes so deep. Yes, you're still doing it through faith, but God exposes you to things that are just, they're, they're mind-blowing. And this, this happened when I went to the Middle East. So it started with, and this was the first one, this was the first really big one, the, the, the transcendent nature of Scripture. Now, now, let me try to explain that. After a few years of being in Doha, we were in a church. The church was not legal in the country, so we were illegal to assemble in a Muslim country. But the government knew we, what we were doing. They knew uh, every week they would have the secret police there. They would write down uh, license plate numbers. They would keep, but that was really more for security than anything else because the worst nightmare for them is to have a, an American church bombed in a Muslim country. And so they were, they were very careful about who came, and if there was somebody who wasn't supposed to be there, they would look into them. But we were, we were in a church. We met in a house. It was a really big house, because it's in, it's in the Middle East, and they have big houses. Um, and every week, there was about 700 people who would attend this church. But there's a very transient population in Doha. Like, I would miss probably anywhere from 20 to 30 Fridays. That's their Sunday, is, is Friday. I would miss from 20 to 30 Fridays every year because of travel, coming home in the summer, holidays. And so the, the church, one week you'd have this 700 people there, and the next week this 700 people would be there. And it was very trans. So there was, there was probably, we, we estimated as elders, there were about 1,500 people. We had no pastor because we were not legal. We couldn't have one. We had elders and 1,500 people and we had one staff member, like an administrator, like Crystal. And we had to make that work. So my qualifications are, I've kind of done this in a place already. Um, but I was in this church, and I became an elder. And we're sitting in an elders meeting. And this is when this, this transcendent nature of Scripture really, really hit me. Over here is a guy from Malaysia. Here's a guy from South Africa. Here's a guy from Texas. That's a different country. Um, and, and there were several others. And when we would start to talk about scriptural things, there was virtually no difference in what we believed. I had gone to Bible college. I had this degree. I had, those guys didn't have it at all. And when it came to spiritual things, there were, there were Pentecostals there. There were guys who were the furthest thing from Pentecostal. When it came to scriptural things, there was virtually no difference in what we believed. Because what we believe about scripture comes from the Holy Spirit. And I learned at that point about the transcendent nature of the Holy Spirit, the transcendent nature of, of Scripture. The second thing that I learned was that believers will always seek out other believers because that's good for the body. We got there. You know what? 
I didn't care what your accent was. I didn't care where you were from. I didn't care what you looked like. I didn't care what your profession was. You were a believer. We had something in common, and we became friends. And then the the next thing that I learned was the importance of fellowship. The importance of those believers not only coming together to worship, but coming together to help each other, coming together to pray together, fellowshipping together, eating meals together. We would have 700 people that would come to three services in our church. And if you went after the second service, because in the first service, no restaurants are open. It's a Muslim country, for pity's sake. After the second service, you could go to any one of five restaurants in the city of Doha, and you would see no less than 20 people and no more than 120 people who had just come from church and were all having dinner together. Every week. When we left Doha to go to Dubai, what was the number one thing we missed? We missed that fellowship because our church in Dubai didn't do that. So I learned about the community. Um, And then this was the really big one. This was the one that really, really stressed my ability to comprehend. It doesn't anymore. I'm going to act like it does, but it doesn't. But it did at the time. When things would happen that were like the book of Acts. Have you ever read the book of Acts? The unbelievable stuff that happens there. And you read it and you're, you know, I, I would always think, wow, God, why don't you work like that today? So I'm going to tell you one. I'm sorry, it's not heresy, um, but but this might not get me here next week, I don't know. Um, A buddy of mine named Clint had an evangelist friend in Africa, and the evangelist's name was Supreza. Supreza is spelled surprise. So apparently mom didn't know he was coming or something. (laughs) So Supreza was this well-known evangelist, he's written books, and Clint was really good friends with him. And Clint is, a, Clint is a, really, a really fiery guy. I'd love to get him here sometime to meet you guys. Anyways, Clint came back from, from being on, it wasn't a missions trip. He was in Africa working with Sapresa on one of his evangelistic crusades. He came back with this story. He didn't witness it. Sapresa just told him about it. So Sapresa is an evangelist, unbelievable. He's like Billy Graham in, in parts of Africa. And he needed to be, he was here, and he needed to be here. And it was physically impossible for him to get from here to here by human means. And Clint says, Sapresa's testimony is, much like the book of Acts, he was physically moved by the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going, come on, Clint, come on. Kid named John. John is, uh, he was a teenager, he was a baseball player, that was kind of how I knew him, and he was in the school I was, I was there. He, John was a nominal Christian. I would say nominal until this happened. His parents were the ones that would come, you know, like Easter and Christmas, and that was about it. John went on a missions trip to Kenya, no, I'm sorry, uh, Nepal. And he's in Nepal, and one of the things that they would do each day is they would go out and they would seek out people that they could pray for. And so John, nominal believer, I think he's just there because it's an exciting adventure. He is there, and they are praying, and he lays his hands on this person who had an obvious spinal deformity. Obvious spinal deformity. Everybody could see it. 
And, and John just happened to be in the back, and where his hand was laid was right on the person's spine. And, and John came back, and his testimony to the church was, as they prayed, he could feel the spine. It was cracking in his hand as the spine straightened and this person was healed. We always explain that away in the West. We, we, there's, there's enough of us that believe that, ah, you know what, that's nice stuff, but I'm not sure I can believe that. And that was me. But God, when you look at the universal church, he doesn't function everywhere in the world like he functions here. And, and quite honestly, some of these things happen in the universal church here in North America. In the Middle East, they believe very much in dreams and visions. Very much in dreams and visions. And um, when, when a Muslim has a dream, that is as if God himself spoke to them. And they will convert to that. They will not convert in a conversation with me, but they will convert if God gives them a dream or a vision. All right. I want to show you some scripture. Book of Ephesians, written by Paul. And, and what, what Ephesians is about, the, the church in Ephesus wasn't in crisis when he wrote this book. He wrote this book to them because it, the purpose is he wanted to reveal to them portions of God's master plan. And so he's writing to them to explain this bigger picture of what God's doing. And one of the first claims that he makes is, look, all things have been put under the authority of Christ. And this master plan, which we're only part of the way through, because the master plan is when Christ returns and sets up his kingdom, you know, in the end times. So it's not complete, but, but Paul's writing saying, he has revealed some of this to us, and it's really amazing. So in this, um, let's, let's skip down to the second portion. I also pray, sorry, let's, can you take me back, Jeremy? One, sorry, I got, got one more. Just got to make sure. I'm in Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, which is 977, for those who want to follow. And then let's come back down. Two, two more, I guess I can do that one. Thank you. I also pray that you will understand the, with the incredible greatness of God's power for us who, believed in, who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things to the benefit, for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere within himself. So all of that to say this, he's in charge. He is over the church. And what Ephesians and some other passages will go on to say is there's some characteristics of the church that we need you to know about. There's some, there's some things about the way you should interact with each other, the way you should treat each other in the universal church that, that you need to understand. And so I've pulled, I've pulled together really six things, and then the seventh one is, is why those are there, why they're evident, why God has created this plan. 
Characteristics of the body of Christ is they're dependent on each other. They're called to peace. They're called to be united. They're made to fit together. They're equipped with gifts. And they're arranged by God. Okay, so now let's, let's go through some scriptures that tell us these things. Dependent. Ephesians 4, 16. 7, uh, 979. If you want to turn there, you don't have to because it's here. And we're going to move on. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Now, that's the universal church, but, but we're a part of that. He fits us together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So we are dependent upon each other. Peaceful. The body is called to peace. Now this one, uh, boy, this one hits close to home. Because in Ephesians, Ephesians 4.26 talks about anger. And my family is here. They know that I have had a lifelong struggle with anger. I don't have it conquered. But I'm encouraged by this verse. Because it says, in your anger, do not sin. God created us. He knows. He knows what we are like. He knows the passions that he has put in us. He knows that we become angry. He knows that we struggle. But the admonition from Paul is, don't let that anger, it's okay to get angry. It's not okay to let that fester and for that to become sin. I like the way, well, in Colossians, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must close yourself with tenderness, mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. We're called, we're called to peace particularly amongst ourselves. We're called to be united. 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Ephesians 4.11-13, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles and prophets, now most scholars believe that that's talking about the early church. The apostles and prophets set up the early church. And so what follows is kind of the more modern church. The the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers, their responsibility, get this guys, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. They will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Our learning is never going to end. The teaching is never going to end. We're always going to get closer and closer and closer as a body of Christ to what we are ultimately meant to be. And it will, it will result in this fulfillment. We're made to fit together. 
Listen to this one, Ephesians 4, 16. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I like the way the message says it, Eugene Peterson. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. Bodies equipped with gifts. That's the third sermon. There's three passages that talk about the gifts. We want to explore with our congregation. What are our gifts? The body is arranged by God. This is really important, guys. Really important. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 to 21. But our bodies uh, have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. I think I'm the only one in the congregation. Maybe if there's another, please come tell me. When I heard that, that my brother Chris was leaving, my response was, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He's a gifted man, and God needs him in another place. He directs us. He places us. He puts us in places. I, the Middle East was the one place I said I wouldn't go. Dubai was the second place I said I wouldn't go. Guess where I went? He directs us. He is the author of all of these things. We can tend to confuse things. We can tend to be obstinate. I don't always want to learn the things God wants me to learn. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. Question is, why? Why? Why has God ordained this for the church? And this, this is mind-blowing to me. If you don't get anything today, this is the thing you should walk away with. Why is it important that we're united? Why is it important that we get along? Why is it important that we live peacefully? Why is it important that we implement the gifts we've been given? Why is it important that we allow God to place us where he wants to place us? This is why. Why did God create a church that needed to be dependent on each other, peaceful, united, made to fit together, equipped with gifts, and specifically arranged? Why did he do that? And this is why. Ephesians 3.10. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which carried out, which he carried out through Jesus Christ our Lord. NIV says it a little more clearly. So let's look at that one. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Do you know what that means? That means that the way the church functions, the way that we get along, the way that we unite, the way that we live peacefully, the way that we exercise our gifts, are so that everybody else knows how wise God is. And so that everybody else, the, this extends to the angels. Heavenly, heavenly realms, authorities in the heavenly realms, most scholars believe it's the angels. We are a witness to the angels of the wisdom of God for the way that he has placed us together as a body. It's critical that we understand this. It's critical. 
God has a grand design. He has a grand design and we are just lucky to be a part of it. And he has a design for Bethany and he has a design for Chris and he has a design for Adam. He's a design for all of us. God's designed the church with purpose and gives gift to bring, gifts to bring glory to himself so that the world will look at the church and, and see the wisdom of God. He, we serve as the evidence of his power and his plan to rulers and to angels. I want to close with Ephesians 4 as the praise team comes. I apologize for the, the time. I blame Gerald, by the way. Um, Therefore I, this is Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace, for there is one body and one spirit just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for including us in this marvelous plan. Thank you for the rebuke that we need constantly, that what we are is evidence of your greatness and your wisdom to the world. Lord, I pray that that's what we would be. I pray that we would be, as a universal church, that we would be a reflection of you and a reflection of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this gift and for this insight into our greater purpose in your kingdom. In your name, amen.